Welcome to episode 48 of Kneel Before Odd. I'm Audrey Kearns, your host, and thanks for listening wherever and whenever you are. You guys, this is a great episode, and the way this interview happened is pure serendipity, and I hate that word, serendipity. My guest for this episode is writer Craig Kyle. Craig is a Marvel machine. He is most known for creating X-23 for the X-Men universe. The character was recently introduced on the big screen in the fantastic film Logan, and he's worked on the MCU Thor movies as well, which includes, of course, the upcoming Thor Ragnarok. Now, on my way back from Emerald City Comic Con last month, I happened to be seated next to Craig on the flight back, and we met and talked nerd nonstop for two hours, and we probably would have gone on for another two hours if we hadn't have landed in beautiful Burbank. Now, I won't go into the conversation that we had on the flight now because we basically continue that conversation in this podcast, and it's just very very fun. In this episode, we talk about how Craig Kyle got into writing, comic books, his Marvel career. We talk about storytelling and, of course, X-23 and Thor. Now, please don't forget to check out geekgirlauthority.com for all your pop and geek culture news. You can also listen to my other podcasts, Booze and Phasers and Five Truths and a Lie. You can find those on geekgirlauthority.com as well iTunes or Blog Talk Radio. Also, head on over to iTunes or Blog Talk Radio to give Neil Before Odd a rating or review if you are so inclined. I would really be ever so grateful for your support of this podcast. Alrighty, now enjoy your walk, your workout, your commute, your cleaning as you listen to episode 48 of Neil Before Odd with writer Craig Kyle. Internet, heed this call. Open your minds and ears and prepare yourselves to kneel before Odd. Welcome to episode 48 of Kneel Before Odd. I'm your host, Audrey Kearns, and this is a show where I interview geek patriots. For episode 48, I have writer and producer Craig Kyle. Craig is the creator of X-23, a.k.a. Laura Kinney, a.k.a. Wolverine's Kid from the Marvel Universe. You most likely saw the cinematic incarnation recently of of X-23 in the film Logan. You've also seen Craig's work in the Thor movies, X-Men Evolution, Iron Man Armored Adventures, just to name a few. Your resume is ridiculous, Craig. Welcome to my house. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. This is very exciting. So, um... Before we get to the interview, we had a really cool meeting on a plane. It was we, so bizarre. It was probably, yeah, the one of the first times I ever, you know, I think you said it the same thing. We didn't use our headphones. We actually just started chatting. We were both done at uh, ECCC. Yeah, and, yeah. And by uh, headphones, we mean we were kind of like, we had our headphones in our hand, like, so we don't have to talk to the people <laughs> next to us. <laughs> That's right. We were done playing the game of not me, not me, not me. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and it was it was a lovely conversation that lasted the entire flight. It was. It awesome. was. I think I had my Weta back because I just bought a uh, Aon figure, yeah. and I, so you had mentioned, oh, so you were at the con, and yeah. so I just politely said yes, but then we just I don't know what. Oh, you were showing me pictures. I said I'm working. I work there. And you said you worked there too, and you're showing me your pictures. That's right. Of cosplay, and there was a picture of Wolverine and X23, and then you, I was like, oh, Laura Kinney, and you're like, oh, I created that. <laughs> 
And I'm yeah. like, what? You're lying. Since uh, since the first year she hit the books, uh, I ran. Uh, I, I met a, an X23 at SDCC, and she was going up the escalators. I was going down, and I screamed across. I said, I created you. I need a picture. <laughs> and she stopped. And, I mean, think, she had a boy with her. Otherwise, I don't think she would have stopped. But, yeah, that was my very first cosplay picture with an X23, and it's something that I do every time I go to a show. It's, Are you uh, going to uh, WonderCon this weekend? I am. I'll be there um, Saturday and Sunday from... Two to four at the CGC booth. And then you're going to SDCC as well? I'll be at SDCC. I don't know what the dates are yet for that. And then I'll be at, I'll be in Chicago at, uh, C2E2? E2? E2? Yes. I forget. I've never been there before. I know it's a huge show. It's a big one. I should know know the order, but I'll be there for the weekend too. So I'm going to be at a few shows. Um, Well, I'm asking because are you ready? I mean, the, the WonderCon is going to be the most X23s you've ever seen. I think that's true. You know, yeah, and true. I think that's going to be like that for the rest of the year for you. <laughs> well, and where were you when you for, when you saw your first cosplay of Laura Kinney? Well, yeah. So, uh, so again, it was right. Um, so was the, it that girl you were just talking it about? It was the girl I was just talking about. But you know, I said it was it was the first year she hit the books. It wasn't. She was actually dressed as Mike Choi's uh, drawing, which is uh, issue two of Target X, and she looked phenomenal. So that would have been like 2009, would have been the first X23 I got to actually meet in person. Wow. And I have a, I mean, I have a collection of me with photos from X23s that are, uh, you know, full grown women to, you know, girls that are 11 to, you know, everything in between and uh, all different costumes and what have you. So, yeah. you know, if they're X23, I'm going to tap them on the shoulder and say, can I get a picture? Oh, I think it's interesting, especially the picture you showed me from Emerald City Comic Con is that with Logan having come out we got to see Laura Kinney looking a bit differently looking like a little kid not with like a um, what you see in comic books which is like a superhero outfit or or, you know kick your ass kind of clothing and um, so it is something that dads and daughters can do together where you know they're not I think that was cool. Was that your first dad-daughter team you saw? First ever. First ever. You know, and, and, and there's been a, a huge swell um, uh, from the fans to just really want to see that relationship. When, when I first put her in the books, she was that age. She was an assassin starting at age nine, and mm-hmm. she killed all the way through 13 in, in the miniseries that Chris Yost and I did and Billy Tan drew. And, you know, and, and there was always something very exciting about it, and tragic, obviously, about a, about a child assassin that's only known programming, that's only known all this thing. And so when she entered the books, she was immediately aged up because she was thrust into NYX um, as a child prostitute. And I think she was supposed to be 16 at that time. But anyways, but once uh, Chris and I brought her into New X-Men, where she got to meet other young ex-kids, kind of like new, right. new Mutant Ages, uh, people really wanted to see that father-daughter relationship. Right. And and the way Logan treated her was like that. You know, he was really trying to care for her and look after her and, you know, overprotective and, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, so people loved it. For years, I kind of said, he's not her father. But at the end of the day, that is the relationship. And I love the way it was handled in Logan. Yeah. So if that's what the fans have wanted, uh, I'm 100% behind it and I love it. And meeting that father and daughter team in ECC was just a thrill. I just bet. Just a thrill. I bet. Well, I have a lot more questions about X-23. But sure. before I we start, I always ask all my guests, what are their nerd origin stories? So, <laughs> Craig Kyle, what is your nerd origin story? What are you well, geeky about? Well, 
I mean, really, it is. I mean, to be in to, truthful, it's really from birth. But <laughs> I mean, it, it really. I mean, I just it, it was always in me to say the least. But when I when I was little, I was I was just infatuated with Disney animation. Uh, uh, Dumbo was a movie I just sobbed in. Uh, I just loved hand drawn animation, and uh, you know, like I grew up with Godzilla movies on Saturday and Sunday mornings um, on Channel Five, but. What really changed my life and put me on the course that I've been on now for over, I mean, professionally 20 plus years and since I was 12, was a buddy of mine from uh, high school, took me to my very first comic book shop. Uh, He was going to pick up some books. I never held one in my hands. Um, uh, And I gravitated right towards X-Men 181, which was on uh, the shelf at Graffiti Comics in Westwood that's long gone. (laughs) And I opened up those pages, and it was like all the artwork I loved from Disney, but like story depth and characters, and and you know it was the, it was the you know the heydays of Claremont, and mm-hmm. it just I was just so drawn in and so and fell so madly in love with it. Um, I just became uh, I mean I was ravenous for comics, and so yeah. we would end up spending all of our allowances and everything else and raced into the comic book shop. So. Uh, because of one friend uh, on one play date taking me to a comic book shop in Westwood completely changed the course of my life. And X-Men will always be my first love. That's amazing. And, and what you must get butterflies in your stomach thinking about that and thinking that you ended up writing so much for the X-Men universe. Yeah, no, I mean, look, you know, I, I got to join Marvel years ago and work on animation first, which I obviously love, and I go back to animation in some form or another if, it, if, 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 if I could do something truly fantastic mm-hmm. and just great. Um, but to go back, to go to the comics and be able to write, to write, uh, you know, to go to the source of where all this stuff starts was such a, a delight, and to do it with Chris, who was my writing partner um, on X Men Evolution, and we just we kind of had this great ascension together from cartoons to comics to live action, and uh, but uh, we did we did seven years of comic books, and you know at the time I wasn't allowed to be paid for my work, uh-huh. so the way it worked out was Chris got half a paycheck for every book we wrote. And then he would cut his half a paycheck in half, and we would each get quarter of a paycheck per page. That's a good guy. Yeah, he's an awesome guy. So Christopher, Chris, Chris Yost. Christopher, no, yeah, I call yeah, him Chris. Christopher. I, professionally, it has to be if Christopher Yost. If you look Yost. him up on IMDb, it's under Christopher It's Christopher Yost, Yost yes. and he had to do that because someone was already in the system. But anyway, I mean, he's amazing. Chris has done you know, amazing animated series, and he's writing huge features, and he and I, you know, uh, did uh, Thor 3 together, and so, yeah, lifelong friend, and, and tremendous all-around person, and wild talent, but, uh, yeah, the, the books were uh, a highlight, because it was just about the love. So, you said Westwood, so you're from... Southern California. Yeah, well, I was born in Texas, um, and uh, while I love uh, huge swaths of it, um, where we were and where my family is now, it's nowhere that I really would, uh, it's not like an Austin or some of these fantastic right. cities. But anyways, so uh, at four years old, I moved out of Texas, came here, 
And then, yeah, I was in L.A. Uh, for most of my life. Went to Crossroads over in Santa Monica. But I lived oh, yeah. in, I was a Valley boy, though. So I was yeah. in Studio City, and I would drive over the hill. And um, but Crossroads is a great school for fostering creativity. Yeah, it was nuts. Sure. Max it's Brooks, a- who did World War Z, was in my class. Yeah. Maya Rudolph was in my class. Yeah. I think uh, then Jack Black was at Crossroads, Jack too? Black yeah. was one year above us and, yeah. and married one of the tw- triplets in my class. I mean, it yeah. was bananas. Yeah. Uh, but... You know, it was a sh- place where you'd have to wear shoes and you could be artistic or you could be scientific or you could be athletic. And it, it just had something for all of these weirdo kids. Where did you see, that's great, like yeah. like Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters. <laughs> <No. laughs> yes. um, um, so you're, you're in high school, you know, you where, where your creativity is being nurtured. Um, did you start writing in high school? When did you start writing? You know, when as I was a, like, maybe I want to do this as a career. You know, I was always, uh, you know, again, my, my original love was animation. And mm-hmm. uh, so I always drew. I was, I, I was an artist for a long, long time. And all through high school, I drew. And then, um, uh, you know, somewhere towards the end of college, uh, end of high school, I uh, just started to second guess if that's what I wanted to do. And then when I got into college, uh, I actually got into a creative writing course that I was really inspired by the work. And I said, whoa, you know, maybe, maybe the artistic uh, side of me uh, would be better uh, placed in, in writing and telling stories. And I was the kind of kid, too, where Max, who I just mentioned, uh, and my friends Henry and Brian, a few other guys that, you know, we were tight the whole way through, we would, during lunch, play, at the time, D&D or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or just basically role-playing games, and we would spend the whole hour, you, you were know... such a nerd. Oh, such a nerd. And you and, and back in the yeah. day, you could take Robotech and TMNT <laughs> and all these things and play them in the same game, so we were crazy. Uh, I had a buddy who would always be Thor, and he would always just throw his underwear at you as an attack, and it was fantastic. But, <laughs> and he would roll for damage. But uh, but I, I, I was never the characters. I was always the GM. I liked to run the oh, game. okay. So I love to kind of put my friends through these crazy, mind-bending, ridiculous adventures. And so when I got into college and creative writing, you know, again, was just a course I decided to, to take. Uh, it really connected with me. And, uh, and um, yeah, you know, I, I just wanted to tell moving but fun and wild stories. Well, then how did the, all that come together then? So you get out of college. Mm-hmm. How honest? Okay, I'll just, how did you get into animation and comic books? So, yeah, I, you know, I, I bounced around colleges. Um, uh, it was a lot of fun, what I can recall, but it wasn't it wasn't a thing where I was going to be like, I'm going to get a degree and I'm going to, this yeah. is my course. I just didn't have that in me. So mm-hmm. um, uh, I came, after being in college for a few years, I, uh, I actually came back to L.A. and I got a job as a runner uh, cutting plates and parking cars at a little studio not far from here called uh it was screen music at the time and so it was a voiceover shop where they were doing invasion america and a bunch of Mm -hmm. disney shows and i met uh uh the producer of uh, invasion america which is a steven spielberg animated series harf bennett who you know from star trek yes um and i told him after you know knowing him for a little while Harv, if you've ever if you ever need someone to pound erasers or sharpen pencils or anything, man, I would love to be a part of DreamWorks. 
and he said, give me a resume. And I gave him a resume. It was in my back pocket when I was talking to him. What was on your resume? Uh, Not a lot. Yeah. Uh, College and really that place and a a couple of summer camps. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Did you have like a sample, like a writing sample or anything to give him? No. No? But but when he asked for it and I, I, I whipped it out of my pocket, he laughed and he said, okay, well, I'll put it on top of the stack. And... Uh, I had I, I had already put in my two weeks at this place because I despised the owner of the studio at the time, uh-huh. and uh, I with nowhere to go, I said, "Hey, can I can I can I stay a couple more weeks?" He said, "No," because he hated me too. But <laughs> but the weekend after I left, uh, I got a call from Harv's assistant, and he said, "Hey, uh, I'm Todd. I'm Harv's assistant. I'm leaving." And uh, Harv said to give you a call and wanted to know if you want the job. And I was like shaking. Because uh, again, this is going from cutting fruit plates and parking cars to whoa, working at DreamWorks. Right, right. And I was like, oh my god, I'd love to come in and interview. He's like, no, no, you don't, you don't get it. Harv wants to know if you want to have the job. The job's yours if you want it. I just need to know. And this guy wow. was like so disgruntled and wanted to move on to bigger and better things. And I, he just wanted you to give him an answer. Yeah. And I came in, and Harv had been through three assistants apparently in six months because uh, he was a bit of an emotional guy, but a lovely, brilliant fantastic guy uh-huh. he laid down the law said look we made a show that Spielberg loved and the network hated now we have a show that the network loves and Spielberg hates it's very very tough you're coming into a bit of a mess but this is the lay of the land so if things get you know emotional that's where it's coming from and I was with Harv uh, for 18 months until the show was long done and I was the second to last person to leave DreamWorks Animation before they gave over our offices to accounting and legal wow um, and then I bounced around for a little bit and then then, Did you uh, learn anything from as a writer from Harv uh, or storytelling? Yeah, you know, I got to sit in a lot of the writer rooms uh, with him and, you know, do notes. And I was the script supervisor for the show. And, you know, he was someone, he, he wasn't great at remembering names, but he called everybody babe. And he didn't do that in a condescending in way. A it was like old way. school Hollywood, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was more of just his sense of uh, passion for, for the stories they were telling, you know. Um, uh, and, and seeing the way he ran a room and the way he managed the writers. So from that regard, it was great. And I, and I met so many talented people. And, you know, uh, it's a really valuable experience in those early days when you're trying to move yourself up the ladder because the people who were kind to you back then are truly decent. And the ones who aren't are just good people to remember because yeah. everyone's going to come back to you eventually. Yeah. And if and if they only care to speak to you or or befriend you once you can give them something, there are people you don't need to have in your life. Again, mm-hmm. I'm not saying you go out of your way to to get back at them, but just be mindful. You know, reward the people that were always great to you. Absolutely, because you like you said, it, you will you will see them again. This town, you know, yeah. for being such a big town, when you're focused on what you do, what your craft is, it the town becomes smaller and, and smaller, and you you know everybody goes through. Hard times and good times, That's you right. know, and, and yeah, it's uh, an important we, we lesson all, in life in general. Absolutely. Just be nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're a decent human nice. being, it really matters. And, you know, yeah. uh, we all fall down the ladder at some point in our lives and you'd like other people to reach out for you as opposed to putting a foot in your head to make sure you keep going down. Right. You know, which is great. But so uh, a, a couple of years after that. I did other small jobs uh, that aren't really worth uh, going into, but uh, one studio I was working at, um, it was a n- network called BKN. Uh, again, what it is doesn't really matter. It was a piss-poor, horrible place. But uh, my there was a man there named Rick Unger who was also a Marvel employee, and he oversaw the TV division. 
And at the time, the, there was a, a person he was kind of given from the New York office that he wasn't fond of. So he was asking me to kind of give him notes and help him develop this X-Men Evolution series. And after that first season was completed, he finally got rid of the guy he didn't like. And then he offered me the job to come over full time as the head of, wow. you know, the creative on the animation division. So he was my boss. And and then from then there out, I, you know, that began. It was 2001. And then I was with Marvel until, uh, gosh, uh, 2013. 20, That's a long time. Yeah. Well, 2000 to, to 2013. So Especially almost in the 14 world years. Or just in, you know, that world in general. Did, did you meet Chris Yost on Evolution? Uh, yeah. Well, yes. I mean, I met him at Marvel because he he was an intern for us. So Kevin had been with the studio for about six months at the time. It was Kevin, uh, it was Avi, Kevin, my boss, Rick Unger, me, two assistants, a comic book researcher, which is just a guy in a room full of comic books, and then the other half of our office was a kite company named Spectrastar. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That was the entirety of Marvel Studios on the West Coast. And then Chris came on not long after I started full-time and he was an intern and he worked with us for a year and he was an aspiring writer and uh he had done some teaching and again just to keep himself afloat and uh kevin offered him the full-time job as our researcher and uh you know he he had just gotten married and all this stuff was kind of happening and, and he just couldn't make that work and I remember distinctly that Kevin said, worst mistake of his life. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, a, year, uh, a little less than a year later, uh, I came up with X-23. Uh, uh, I was going to be able to write her for the show, but I really wanted someone that had written a lot more than me at the time. So mm-hmm. I asked Chris if he wanted to partner up because I, I loved his stuff. And that began a, a, a writing and friendship love affair that's lasted to this day. So oh, that's fantastic. It's crazy. I want to take a moment to apologize for listeners because there's a helicopter circling, which is commonplace in Los Angeles, but I can hear it in my headphones, so I'm sure <laughs> they can hear it too. We are safe. For now. For now. For, I mean, anything could happen. We don't now. So do, do keep listening. because I you should be could... doing this live. Oh, my God. That'd be so <laughs> good. Because once they take us... <laughs> We're screwed. This could be it. So um, X-23 was was introduced in the TV series first, right? Yes. Evolution. You came up with it. Um, Did they ask you for it, or was this something you'd been thinking about and you pitched it to them? Uh, uh, Well, so so when we started Evolution, the first X-Men movie had come out. uh, The show was on Kids WB, and they they didn't understand how special the X-Men were. So, again, I wasn't there for the complete you know, um, creation of the series. Uh, uh, so they had a lot of influence on how it was shaped. And I used Is this to put, a WB? W, Kids WB. Kids WB. You know, they wanted it really young. They wanted to make something new, put their imprint on it. They created a new, they wanted a new character for the show that was never in the books. And that character is Spike, someone who I despise and someone who it took us three and a half seasons to make cool and then get rid of uh he's just he was really lame he was yeah. marrow ripped off and it's just like it's just he, he wasn't an inspired choice but anyways um but i was called it 9021x so uh, uh so greg johnson who deserves so much credit for the show's success he came on as story editor in the second season and uh, creatively, that really began a big shift for the series. And by the end of season two, I think we were in a very different place. And then the show really owned its name and continued to evolve season after season. Um, and and as the X-Men franchise became bigger in the uh, films, 
Wolverine obviously was just shining because of Jackman. Yeah. And yeah. so they said, you know, in this show, some of the classic X-Men were all teenagers and others were adults who were the instructors. And Wolverine was obviously one of the older characters. And they're like, um, this is between season two to three. They're like, can we make Logan a teenager? And I'm like, no, uh, that is horrible. And we can't just be like, oh, voila, look, he's a kid. That's yeah. this fun. Yeah. It, it, you know, so, but having to answer the request in some form or another, I poured back over my X books. I was trying to find a way to find a solution to this uh, request. And, you know, I, I very quickly realized, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no bettering Wolverine. But when I hit Barry Winter Smith's Weapon X and gave it a read again, I found that maybe there was a way to remake him. Yeah. But I didn't want to do just, here's Wolverine 2.0, but a kid. Um, so uh, I basically took the whole idea of Wolverine, Logan, and Weapon X, and every time there was a right made, I made a left. So instead of a character being older than anyone knows, X-23 is just just a child. Uh-huh. Uh, instead of a man who lost his life and is searching for it, she was never given the chance to have one. Instead of a guy who was pulled off the streets and pulled into a program, she's been raised inside it. So so it was it was it was to really create a mirror against Logan that that um, will, can ask and answer questions his life can't. And, you know, he can now be the hope for another character because if, if he found a way back, maybe this child has a chance to finding her way as well. So right. I always just love that, again, it, it, didn't, it didn't harm Logan. Hopefully it improved. Now, um, I've read, uh, like, oh, so... Y- then how did how did it come about that Marvel then said we like her so much we want it for the comic books? Uh, well, so I had a first picture to um, Avi Arad who was you know obviously the the head of the studio, and he said yeah so fine like he you know he 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 was, wasn't really concerned too much about adding this character to the series but. Uh-huh. He didn't want the New York office to be upset because if you're going to add anything to Wolverine's story, that's a big one. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, he wanted me to pitch it to Joe Casada, who was the editor-in-chief at the time. Right. So Joe was in town for various reasons, and on a drive to In-N-Out, I pitched him the one-and-a-half-page version of kind of her origin. You know, and I had no idea how it was going to go, and he loved it. And I remember very clearly he turned to me and he said, Craig... In a page and a half, you've solved a problem people couldn't crack for 15 years. And, right. And he apparently was working on NYX as a concept at the time. And uh, again, I knew nothing about the series when in, in that car ride or until the issues actually hit. But he asked, can I put her in the books? And like you said earlier, to have a character that you've thought up and, and think about them entering the comics and becoming a, fab, a piece of the fabric that is you know the source of all of these stories was just overwhelming so obviously i, I was thrilled imagine. i said yeah. yes yeah and then i was given the green light to go ahead and tell the you know the kid-friendly version of a very dark origin that i had pitched in that car ride which was innocence lost which was innocence lost yeah i mean because you know uh, people ask you know uh, well you know how did you change the story from evolution into the, the comics and i said well no it's the absolutely reverse when you're thinking of a story or a character origin you don't think, you don't think kid friendly. Like, oh well, this hurt people. This is scary. You, right. you just try to tell the most moving, truthful story you can come up with. Right. So what I pitched was what people read in Innocence Lost, 
what we had to do then was back it into a place where we could put it on Saturday morning and not have the show pulled. Right. And the first pass that Chris and I did when we handed in to Greg Johnson, I mean, he was like, this is great. No, this is way too dark. This is way too much. So then we had to continue to kind of massage it back, massage it back. Um, but, you know. How did you, did you have to wrangle with them about... You're saying too dark, and you're talking yeah. about the violence and, and well, stuff, I mean, the right? whole idea of a of a small child being you know tortured and programmed mm-hmm. and you know I mean it's there's not there's not many aspects of X twenty three's origin that aren't too heavy for a kid audience. Yeah. So you know we just had to really find a way to allude to some of it, but really keep as much of that out of the story as possible, and just get her into the pursuit of Wolverine, you know, right. just give a hint of how she came to be, but really focus on the story that was her trying to find the X-Men, but specifically Logan. Right. Because right. once she got into the backstory, there wasn't much we could cover and, and keep in the script. Right. That makes sense. Well, you guys took, I mean, obviously people love Innocence Lost. You guys took care of that really well. And then at the end of Target X, is that when she meets yeah. Logan? And, and that's right. And, um, it, from there, I mean, you, you really do set up that re- relationship really well, and you can... Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, when, we, when, when, I, when I hand in the outline for, um, for Innocence Lost, it was envisioned as a five-page series, but once we got going, we just clearly knew we, we, were, we, we needed a whole other page. Yeah. And Axel was always great. Our editor at the time, um, he would always remind us, like, you guys got to give your guys a chance to do some splashes, open up some shots, because, you know, we had so much story to tell, it was getting a little claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. So he was just really good at helping us just kind of manage the pace at which we told the story. But once we started to open those opportunities up, we just needed more space. And right. then... Target X was was basically us trying to because the first story is all about Sarah Kinney, you know, mm-hmm. her maker. Mm-hmm. Innocence uh, Target X was really the story of X twenty three. Her first days of making choices and entering the Marvel U before she hits right. the pages of NYX. Right. And the original title for Target X was supposed to be Ronan, which. I always felt, and Chris really liked, felt like and it's the perfect story because here this is a child who's been trained as a weapon and she's always had masters. And now that they are all gone and she's on her own, she's on this like, you know, this, this spiritual journey, if you will, as a weapon who now has to find her way in the world. Unfortunately, Brian Michael Bendis had come up with a character named Ronan at the time. Huh. So like literally within a year or whatever of, of us doing that, so the title got shot down, and that was always a bummer. So the reason we went Target X, which people sometimes scratch their heads about, is, well, it was a nod to the Evolution series where she first appeared. So, you know, that was that. But I will always miss the fact that we didn't get to call that second story Ronan because, you know, sometimes when you get a title right, it just felt... It felt that one felt right. Yeah. And it was kind of out of... Once that happened, it's out of your hands. There's nothing you can do yeah. about it. And again, I yeah. mean, if your biggest complaint about the series is the title, I mean, that's, that's great yeah. because we were <laughs> blessed to... To get Billy Tan on the first series and then to get Mike Choi and Sonia Obach on the second, I mean, you could, you could have, we could have been no more blessed when yeah. it comes to artists. We were so fortunate that they were the ones to bring those worlds and characters to life. So, flash forward, you find out that they're going to make an, a Logan movie, kind of like Old Man Logan World. Yeah. And uh, how did you find out they wanted. Uh, Laura Kinney in it. Uh, my agent, uh, Craig Brody, um, 
uh, I was with CAA, and uh, he gave me a call and said, so you know that Fox is going to do a Logan movie? I'm like, no. Uh, I, well, I did, uh, I, one, I didn't know that. And he says, well, and you know that X-23 is in it. I'm like, no. Oh, so they, you, they were already talking about this, and you had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, uh-huh. this was already underway. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, uh, uh, and, you know, James Mangold was already at the place where he was starting to, to run down the script. This was in 2014, and right. they put together a, a lunch, and I got to go sit down with him, and we had a great conversation. I got to tell him some stories that had never made it to the pages of the book, and fill in some blanks, explain why her claws are the way they are, and just, you know, really just kind of help him uh, flesh out uh, a, a, a deeper picture of, of the character. Do you feel that he was really listening to you, especially when you saw I do. the final product? Yeah, I yeah. do. You know, and I always have to give credit to him because when I sat down, you know, he knew what Logan was from the from the from long before I sat in that chair. You know, he said, "It's a it's a it's a it's a um, it's a troubled man." who has a dying father, who's caring for his dying father, and then discovers that he has a daughter he never knew about. And it's like, you know, that that's that simple description is a great movie without any of the X elements attached. When you then lay right. in Xavier and Logan and uh, Laura into it, it's 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 incredible what he achieved and what he created, and I, I will forever be grateful. So we had a great conversation, and then over the, uh, you know, a year or so that followed, we would touch base via email, and he'd hit me with some more questions. You know, I was just kind of his his Laura uh, expert. Right, right. And, you know, uh, like every fan, I was so excited every time something came out, and I, I the, the depiction of her character on screen oh, is... Boy as beautiful as I could have ever dreamed and never would have believed was possible. And I don't think anyone since Chris and I has taken such tremendous care in just bringing the most, you know, again, tragic and beautiful and, 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 you know, emotional version of her character to fans. So I, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, you know, I couldn't be more grateful and he's a lovely guy and a tremendous talent. And I hope he stays with her character as long yeah. as she's in the, in the I in really, the film. really, really enjoyed the movie. And not just because of X-23. I mean, she was, I think, kind of a, a breakout star. I mean, this was a story of, you know, L- Logan. Yeah. It was his story. Yeah. And it was also a very sad story about Professor X. Oh. You know, and, and then enter a third, a third major part, a third, and a new character into yeah. the world that we as an audience have to say, oh my gosh, I'm trying to deal with Logan and Xavier right now. And oh my gosh, there's this kid, which of course is what's going through Logan's head at, at, at the same time. But um, first of all, perfect casting with Daphne oh, Keene. I, I mean, think that that was half the battle. But from the moment I saw the first trailer, you know, it was, you know, and you said this on the plane because I was telling you about what I thought about the trailer. And you said... You had always thought of that Johnny Cash song. Yeah. So you didn't know it was going to be in the trailer, right? You know, look, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Mangold uh, did Walk the Line, which was such a tremendous movie. So, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't find a person more versed in, you know, Johnny Cash's work. And um, uh, but yeah, so when I was when I was fleshing out that outline, um, you know, before Chris and I got in and really started doing issues for months, uh, literally months, I had a long drive from the from the Valley to the West Side when I was going to Marvel, and I would put Hurt on by Johnny Johnny Cash's cover of it, and mm-hmm. I would play it, you know, 45 minutes to an hour and a half uh, on loop, 
and it it, it just it, it is it is her story you yeah. know you know a, a key factor about her at the time with Logan was you know Logan had no answers and that was always his journey um, Laura is shackled to every murder, to every action, to everything she was forced to do. And, and if you listen to the words of her, it just so matches who yeah. and what she is. Uh, and it goes into her cutting and everything else and like pain being the only thing that she has any control over in her own body. And so um, it just really, really moved me and it put me in the right headspace when I was writing the character. So when that trailer hit and I heard that music over over that over the picture and I, I it was one of the many times I've been moved to tears wow. in, in, in the creation of the film and it's just like there is if it, there is true magic in the in in the creative arts and in the world around us and mm-hmm. and that's one of those moments where it's like Jesus I mean could this be any more meant to be and right then, and then again you know it only got better and then all the way until I was in the theater with my wife uh, on on uh, the Thursday preview night and man it was just like I mean it was it was uh it was uh, such been. an emotional experience. I bet. Yeah. I bet. Um, did, um, what did you think uh, of the Logan story itself, of the Logan and Professor X story? And- I loved it. You know, I actually got to uh, sit down with James recently after the movie. And he, again, you know, I just had to give him a big hug as a thank you. And, uh, you know, one moment I just want to point out, I'm assuming everyone's in the movie at this point, but, you know, what I loved so obviously there's I love everything and yeah. I'm so grateful for Laura but I said you know one of the ideas I needed to stop and 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 congratulate you on it is is Xavier's uh illness mm-hmm. you take the most powerful telepath in the world and you give him dementia uh, schizophrenia whatever you know uh, uh, Alzheimer's whatever he's suffering from it's an idea that has been possible for almost 50 years since his creation and no one has ever thought about it. Mutants age and they can get sick or some, some mutants age and they can get sick. They can get, you know, regular human illnesses. And, and that's what they did. Yeah. And you're right. It was. It, it's one of those ideas where you just you just palm, you just put your palm to your face and smack your head. It's like, how did I not think of this? And, I, and I've seen the movie a couple times now. And both times when I watch it, I hold my breath during that sequence of the casino because it's oh, just. Boy. So amazing. And he said, it was the most ridiculous scene to shoot because people are standing there doing nothing. And, you know, it's very tough to imagine what's happening around you until the effects get laid in. But he said, you know, on the day, it was it was a little hysterical to be shooting. But, yeah. man, the outcome was so Oh, no, once they put everything. powerful. And then when then it really starts to make you think, of, you know, what is this Westchester incident? What is, oh, you know, no. it's like, you know, oh, boy, what did Charles do, you know? If this... If he caused that much damage at the casino, just imagine what he did. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, there's nothing but speculation running rampant on the internet. I won't ask you because you're probably in the know. But. Well, you know, but, you know, but you know, he he uh, he's spoken to the to the way that he loves to you know put the audience in a place of asking good questions when a, when a story opens you know the audience is eager to get into the story because their 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 interest and emotions are so piqued by the setup and it's not about laying out all this exposition it's about mm-hmm. drawing them in and right. having them want more and i i think he's such a master of that and i also love that he you know uh, as much as the film ended on that great mo- you know feeling of tragedy and triumph you still leave with 
a certain amount of questions that are just, you know, yeah. making you desperate to see the next day, the yeah. next hour. Absolutely. I completely agree. And I also love the, you know, and this is, people have been talking about this too. I didn't come up with this. The, the, the whole Western kind of element oh, yeah. to the, the film was just great with Shane and, and, and all that stuff. It was fantastic. That was the one other moment that I said, as I said, you know, it was so smart. You know, you take what was such a clear inspiration for you building this, and then you put it in the actual film. What I love about it was is it gave Laura the words to be able to express what she was feeling because that is such a new emotion yeah. for her. And she would have no basis um, to be able to give a speech at an end like that. But because he gave it to her and presented it uh, to her in the film in that way with Xavier, she was armed with enough to try to express what was going on inside of her. Again, such a brilliant choice. Yeah, He's yeah. A, I love it. I'm How um, is your daughter old enough to see Laura Kinney yet? In the no, f- well, it's an R-rated movie. Of course, she's not. Well, yeah, does no. she know about X twenty three? She does. Yeah. I have uh, comic book pieces up in the house. I have a mm-hmm. few covers that I own um, uh, from Innocence Lost and Target X and uh, a couple of others. But my wife rules the house with an iron fist. Um, she has seen it. All the good Star Wars, none of mm-hmm. the prequels. That those are outlawed <laughs> in my house. Uh, she has never seen a single Marvel movie. We tried to slowly introduce her into the, even though it's not the proper MCU uh, with McGuire's uh, Spider-Man. Uh-huh. But as soon as Defoe has that nightmare flash of Goblin, she got scared and she's out. So, to this day, um, she's seen about half of X-Men Evolution. And that is it. Oh, and Next Avengers, an animated direct DVD yeah, that I did. Yeah. Uh, Travis, my son, uh, he is um, only five, uh, but I, you know, he's desperate to see it all. But you know, you my got, wife. Yeah. It, it, I we, agree with your wife. We try to keep the, We we, we want to keep our kids at a place where they are age appropriate. Right. And as much right. as it breaks my heart. I cannot logically uh, win any arguments with my wife about the choices we make. So, well, you when you created X twenty three, you didn't have kids yet. I did not. Yeah, I did not. So yes, when I thought of so, a so how nine you... year old girl, I thought, oh, assassin. So that's yeah. that's, that's, that's <laughs> my mind gravitated. Well, you do you think that you would um, think any differently now, knowing say if you're writing like a little girl because you have a little girl, it could be any different. I think you still would have come up with the whole you know yeah, weapon no, I... X and. I don't think so. You know, what I what I find, though, is that I really, really love female characters. I grew up in a very female-dominated house, so I just kind of... And I'm the guy who cries in the theater. I, I was always the softie, and my wife was a bit of a stone until my kids were born. So, you know, I was... I'm, I'm the guy who just... I, I, you know, I, I'm always led by my heart, for better or for worse. So, mm-hmm. um, I think I would, you know, embrace more of this fatherly side of that story but um no you know and i'm still drawn to it like another character that i absolutely love that uh, i'm so grateful that chris and i got to spend so much time with is domino she's someone who just rules you know and and there is a story that's been burning up inside of me that i've wanted to tell we did this series called um a, a real short three issues and it was it was really a a piece for uh, Gabriel Delato to to show his artistic chops, and he wanted to just do some storytelling. He had done a lot of covers, and he just wanted to show people the kind of stories he could he could tell. Right. And and there were very strict rules: no more than four panels a page, not dialogue heavy, just let's. It's a show, don't tell. 
and I mean, and we were like, Delato, you got us. Whatever you want, we're doing it. Uh-huh. So we came up with this very simple story where Domino gets herself in over her heads and Wolverine forces himself on her to help her get out of the mess, only to find out that she keeps withholding information and getting them deeper in the shit. Uh, if I can say that. If not, deeper in the stuff. Is, uh, just just one. Just one. Just one. Nope, uh, nope. Uh, but, Swear all the time. But it was, we just loved her because she was someone who really enjoyed being uh, an assassin, a, 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 a master of weapons and destruction. And she's also someone who can roll right into battle with Wolverine and come out the other side. And he doesn't have to save her and she doesn't want to be saved. And she was just such an equal, you yeah. know? And I wanted to do a follow-up uh, that really took that relationship from a place of just kind of like wild fun and sex and, and, and uh, violence to one of loss and love and, um, uh, you know, basically I look at Domino this way. Uh, Wolverine was always her plan B uh, because he is unkillable. And at the time we were going to write that, that was the case. And what was going to kind of kick off the story was him dying in the books. And it's like, he's not allowed. And it's not that she needed him to protect her, but it's like, it's no, like no matter what you do, you can always go back to that person. And a lot of people in life have that. And she just always assumed no matter where their paths went and how many bodies lie between them and the end of that road, he'd be there for sure. And then they'd end up being whatever they could. Two screwed up locks and keys right. together. And and then when he's not there, um, you kind of tell her story in the events afterward, but then also what's this missing story where the two of them actually had some real... Uh, serious romance and heartbreak and, you know, I don't know, just just show a, a deeper side of the story that was always there, but we mm. hadn't had a chance to show yet. Nice. I just, I love them as characters. I love yeah. the two of them together, especially. But So, I put out on the interwebs mm. um, questions for Craig, Craig Kyle. <laughs> and so, I got some, uh, I got some good ones. So, right. um, don't feel you have to answer these uh, in, in, really long answers because there's it. quite a few I'll be fast. and um the first few are from i do another podcast called booze and phasers where we have cocktails <laughs> nice. and talk about star trek and then it's evolved into talking about genre but we still have a lot of cocktails and we're on a a, a great podcast network called giant size team up nice and uh they have um uh, this great one that you would love called Breaking the Panel. It's a roundtable discussion <laughs> on on comics. They have a D and D one, which I, you would call hey, bo- I called, would love that. called botched. Oh. And um, so they threw me out some questions. The first one is um, from Joseph Ard, and he does the Pokemon Go podcast <laughs> on the network. So, and um, if you were a mutant, what power would you have? I would have flight. Flight. I know it's a boring one, but you know, I mean, come on. If you could fly, I know I could be shot down and die, but come on, who doesn't want to fly? I would definitely, flight has to I, be I think I think that's honest, because sometimes people want to think too hard on it, you know? Like, it, I've said this before, and it sounds really silly. Yeah. And maybe flight would be, it's it's a version of flight. My, my power would be it's, to hover. <laughs> I swear. I like floating. I've, I've never been able to float. I've never been able to float on my back, my, my body, my legs are too long or whatever, but I love floating. And if I could just hover and float in the air or float above water, I think it would be very peaceful well, for so me. Well, you should just say winged flight because then you can just catch the breeze like any bird and just hang. Find a current. Get, Find get, a current. Yeah. Give oh. yourself a little bit of range though because if you ever do have to escape, hovering is not going to help you. 
I'm writing this You're down. I need to shot see. Down. That's why I yeah. brought this up. Thank yeah. you, Joseph, for bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> and Joseph, I was catching Pokemon Go on the way over here today. So just so you know, <laughs> what is uh, what is your what has been your favorite character to write? Have you been able to single it down to one? Uh, well, look, Laura will always be first and foremost, but uh-huh. second and 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 it's an immediate second is Domino. Domino is by far, Which we were just uh, talking and, about. and Chris yeah. feels the same way. She's yeah. just, we really think that you know we were able to bring her some real fun and mm. and piss and vinegar and just put a smile on her face and and man, it fits great because she's a badass. Do you have a favorite comic book movie? Oof, uh, Superman the movie. The first. The first. Superman the movie. The first. It, it, it was, I was 12, I think, when it came out. It, it, I've watched it a million times. Me it too. is a film that I've been able to share with my daughter. I've shown snippets to my son. Uh, in so many ways, it is still a perfect film. It is like a one beautiful... I yeah, Oh, I love two as well. Yeah, but, but one, is, one, I, is, one is a quintessential kind of perfect uh, superhero is. film. Two, and uh, please forgive me for my lack of remembering... Um, where does Zod get sent? Is it that mirror? Yeah, the, the forbid, uh, it's the, the Phantom Zone. The Phantom Zone. Yep. Um, so, gosh, how much? I was like maybe 11 or mm-hmm. 12 when I saw that. Mm-hmm. And that freaked me out, the Phantom Zone. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. I had nightmares about that. And I also got the name of my podcast well, from and, Superman and, too. So. Exactly right. It's fantastic. And, and look, they set that up in the very first movie. So yeah. they were already thinking about where does this go yeah. next? Love it. And his last question, this oh. is this is a, a nice one to get to know you by, uh, what's mm. your guilty pleasure TV show? Ooh, guilty pleasure. Oh, Antiques Roadshow. Antiques Roadshow. I love it. My wife despises it uh-huh. unless there's like, you know, the, the one where the, the guy gets, has the antique uh, like chief's uh, 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 Native American blanket. And he had it hanging over a chair, and then he finds out that it's worth half a million dollars. Half and, a million the, dollars. Oh, my God. The poor old guy just starts to uh, cry. Oh, he just starts to cry. It breaks my heart every time I see it. I love it to death. But I will watch that show. Uh, I, I will, whenever it's, if there's nothing else on, I will put on Antiques Roadshow, yeah. and I will just watch it for hours on end. I, I just, I love it. I love yeah. it. It's a collector inside of me. Yeah, I get that. I get that, because I, I actually have fun with that show, too. Uh, okay, next one up is from Dennis Robinson, and he... On Giant Size Team Up Network, he does the Botched a D&D podcast. Oh, sweet. Okay. And Dennis said, um, I have read that screenplays rarely resemble what they were originally, so I would ask how different your initial stories for the Thor movies were compared to the end result. Mm. They they do. They, they, they change uh, quite a bit. I think, you know, every movie's different. Um, you know, look, some people... Uh, I know Eastwood, he usually finds a script that he likes and he just makes that movie and he doesn't change much at all. Um, uh, Marvels are especially tricky because, you know, as the films progress, we're we're building a bigger tapestry. Um, You know, uh, there were a few drafts of Thor before we ever brought on Ken and and, uh, Don Payne who really brought the the tone of Thor to life in such a beautiful way. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say that really over the course of the the shoot and, and obviously through post, the story continues to evolve, the script continues to evolve. So, you know, really from the moment you write that first draft all the way until you lock um, uh, post-production, the, the stories continue to evolve and, and writing is a big part of that. So, uh, and, and you have to have that kind of freedom in some regards, because actors will bring beautiful elements to it, obviously, right. besides just performances. But as they start to really corkscrew into the characters, they're going to bring great things. The director has a vision. So if everyone can bring their best and and and, and move towards the same target, mm-hmm. that 
that that looseness can be a wonderful thing. Uh, what do you think of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Is it doing too much? I mean, they have movies planned for like 20 years, LOL. Does he, <laughs> do you think that the movie audience will eventually get superhero fatigue with so many films coming out? Um, look, uh, I would say that Marvel and Kevin, uh, specifically Kevin, you know, really has always been our John Lasseter. He has such a, you know, grand vision for, mm-hmm. for what the MCU can and will be. And then he's put tremendously talented people in place to help him right. realize that. Look, great movies will always find an audience and so far so good, you know, knock on everything. So I don't see that happening because again, if the movies are good, uh, you know, people will always want to see them. But uh, bad superhero movies are bad for everybody. Yeah. And the audience at large doesn't know DC from Marvel, from Vertigo, from Image, from what, you know, it, it doesn't matter what, what house is what, uh, a superhero movie is a superhero movie. So if if those don't work, it harms everybody. Mm-hmm. But I think if you look at, you know, the last two Fox films, Deadpool, who was done by the brilliant Tim Miller, and who I've known for over a decade, and I saw that whole process where he was trying to get that movie made, and all the iterations, and all the hard work, and just the passion-driven mm-hmm. product that was. And then you look at what James Gunn, uh, sorry, James Mangold has done, but obviously James, James Gunn, Gunn's too. Come did on, James pretty, Gunn. did pretty good of it. <laughs> that was quite the gamble, too, James Gunn. Yeah, Not only yeah. brilliant and hilarious and fantastic, one of the nicest people I've ever met yeah. in my life. Uh, you know, again, that's another great example, but, you know, as long as people kind of reinvent and 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 uh, and and show you that there's so many, you know, the the superhero genre can continue to be evolved and and redefined. There's a limitless possibility of films and and future fan bases. And and again, um, I was gonna say is you know Mangold did a beautiful job in just saying, look, you can get as dark and as dirty and as gritty as the books have been at their best, and many continue to try to be. And boy, if it's great, people will be there with money yeah. in hand. And so, so I'm grateful. And I and I hope that Fox as a whole will use those two poles in the ground now, Deadpool and Logan, as kind of goalposts and say, now how many great movies are in between? And I, I yeah, think that's a really great way to put it. That's a really great way to put it. Okay, Chris Wisdom from mm. the podcast Breaking the Panel on Giant Size <laughs> Team Up. Uh, what's one character you never got to write but always wanted to? Oh my gosh, that's... Um... Uh, and why? <laughs> yeah, great question. Uh, uh, Chris and I secretly wrote some Batman animated episodes during uh-huh. our X Men days. So I would I would have said Batman, but we actually had a chance, even though our stuff was rewritten. It was awful. But uh, <laughs> I would say, you know what? I I, I love Spider Man. But I always wanted to do a story um, where basically, you know, there's the horrible situations where it's suicide by cop. I always wanted to do a character, a, a person, a villain, who really only, his goal was to get Spider-Man to kill him. So it was going to be called Suicide by Spider-Man. Oh, wow. And it was someone who was going to keep on pushing things and endangering lives until he convinced Spider-Man to kill him. Wow. That's one story I always wanted to tell. But, you know, one, I don't know if Marvel would have ever gone for it. But right. two... Yeah, we just never got the opportunity. Um, do you think that the perfect Logan Laura story has been told yet? Well, I got to tell you, uh, yes. Uh, yes. I mean, uh, I, I'm very proud of what uh, Chris and I have done. And I think we told what we needed to tell in the books for them. And I don't know how you better the one that James put forward. It's just, it's too brutal. It's too beautiful. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. Okay, simple yeah, answer. Absolutely. I agree. And Chris's last question was, what's the pressure like to develop any, in all caps, any X-Men cartoon series after the 92 series? Is it something you thought about, or did you just have to keep your head down and just worry about your own projects? Yeah, this is a touchy subject for those 90 fans, which they're huge. Uh, so here's the deal. The 90s cartoon is the reason we have X movies. If that had that show had not come out, Hollywood would never have known the power of the X-Men franchise because the comics were already there and they were already brilliant. The show had such a huge fan base, like the Batman the Animated Series. It just really... It just really opened up the eyes of Hollywood to mm-hmm. what the potential was. So I will always be grateful for it. I have never liked the show. I think it's uh-huh. ugly. The voice acting hurts my ears. Mm-hmm. I, I just I'm I could not like the show less. So when I came on to Evolution, which was again nine hundred two one X, and I'm not stomping on my feet and saying this is the show you were waiting for. We got <laughs> to a great place. Yeah, and we were we were moving towards the books. Um, uh, uh, but I never worry about the nineties show because it was never my job to try to convince those fans that this is better. I will tell you the show that I'm most proud of when it comes to the X universe, while the animation was spotty because of the studios we had to work with and some of the people we had to work with outside of Marvel, uh, uh, Wolverine and the X-Men was the story and animation that I really, really wanted to tell. I wish it was prettier, Mm -hmm. but the guys that we had and gals on our side did such a great job, and I wish we could have told the next three seasons that we were already mapping out. But to me, that's the series I always wanted to do, and that's... uh, And then some of the direct-to-DVD stuff, the Hulk versus stuff, I also love when uh, we put Hulk and Wolverine together and introduced Deadpool, and it was so... So so I've been able to tell some stories that I love, and and the, the classic 90s series was never a consideration or concern that's interesting very interesting okay so thanks guys from uh, giant size team up next network uh aaron lynch is a contributor to geek girl authority she's great very prolific uh a blogger she actually mostly blogs about uh or posts about dc so i was surprised nice. i had gotten some questions for you and um so that yeah made me happy she said when producing thor what was the initial approach to the character was he always going to end up being a bit of a goofball uh, you know, look, um, Thor's a tricky one. You know, Kevin took so I was with I was the uh, head of animation, um, and I was overseeing all of our direct DVDs, and I had had some success with Thor on that side. I had done Tales of Asgard, which was kind of like an up and coming Thor story. I also did Hulk versus with Thor. You know, and Kevin knew that I didn't really like the character. The only time I had ever read him in the comics was Walt Simonson's Beta Ray Bill run, which was on the shelf when I went into the my, into like my third comic book shop ever, and I was just so drawn to it. And then I read him again when uh, Bobby uh, Iceman was stolen by Loki to uh, turn into a weapon to freeze the Earth so the uh, uh, Frost Giants could march. So if the X-Men went there, if Arthur Adams took the New Mutants to the world of Asgard, that's when I was there because the X-Men were going. So that's when I read Thor. But I'm not into funny hats and helmets and capes and magic mm-hmm. and these and die. So not my bag. So, But since Kevin saw that I was able to take care of that I wasn't really very fond of and do some great things with him, he wanted me to find a way to adapt this property for, for an audience that would feel at least that way, if not more right. so. Credit goes to Ken Branagh. He came in with a wide, wide pitch about a cosmic story, very inspired by Walt Simonson's run. But... He said, at the end of the day, it comes down to fathers and sons. And 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 um, and the camp and the fun was something that 
that Ken wanted, but not to make fun of itself, but to have fun. You know, the Terminator, when he marches through the streets and is unafraid of the police, it's fantastic because he's unbound by our rules. Right. There's a similar take there, but we wanted a bit more of a wink. Mm-hmm. It was bringing Ken's vision and Don Payne, who had worked in The Simpsons for for 11 years at the time and just had a wonderful, brilliant, lovely, talented writer, um, who we lost a few years ago, and I love him to death, and mm-hmm. he's such a talent. But, you know, those two men were able to really craft that tone that worked so well because it was a film that that needed to be real but not take itself so seriously so right. you could have a little fun with it. And and I think that, you know, when the next film comes out, we kind of return to that celebration and fun that was captured in the first film and really just double down on it. And I think people are going to love what's coming. Um, with how the MCU has morphed, we're able to see more characters. What is a Thor character you've wanted to see in the MCU? Uh, Beta Ray Bill. You know, and again, you know, you have to tell the stories that feel natural for the character. And, you know, uh-huh. and Kevin's done a nice job. You know, he, he's, he's good about making sure that our movies stand on their own and they're not so slavish to what's coming as we get towards these last couple of chapters in infinity war you know there's there's less room to to veer but he's he's been really good about that but we looked at uh balder we looked at beta ray bill again we're always so inspired by uh walt simonson's run i mean it really it's 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 our favorite run in the books and then straczynski's run was also a huge inspiration too because he brought such lovely life to it and celebrated the humanity side of the story so those are our two favorite creators when it comes to the projects so I love Straczynski. Oh, he's, he's, he's brilliant and talented and, and like one of these people where you're like, why do I even try? He's just so <laughs> talented. But So yeah, Beta Ray Bill would be the number one choice. Okay, these last questions are my favorite because it's from uh, another contributor. <laughs> thank you, Press, thank you, Aaron from mm-hmm. Geek Girl Authority. Um, it was from Matt Key, who is my a senior contributor nice. for Geek Girl Authority. He is, um, I, I've never met someone that can hold a candle to his comic book knowledge. Sorry, wow. sorry, Craig. It's, I, I'm sorry. Uh, He's just, he uh, hosts a show called Marvel Movie News. He um, does a show on Geek and Sundry about comic books. He's just amazing. So um, he, he actually sent me 12 questions. I got, wow. them, I got them down to eight. Because <laughs> right, some of them oh, I was boy. already going to ask anyway. Um, in your new X-Men run, what was your favorite storyline and who, who okay, who I can't understand what you said, Matt. In your new X Men run, what was your favorite storyline, and who are your? What was your favorite character to write for? Oh, uh, in new X Men, I'd say that's tough. So, um, I don't know if I can pick a run because there were, you know, it, it, for us it was almost one long story, although it was broken into chapters. But I will say, uh, Pixie is another one that we really thought we brought some fun life to. She just really shined. And when she got to move on to Uncanny X-Men proper, it was uh-huh. really amazing to see her do that. But we always loved Anole and uh, and Rockslide too. You know, you had this little kid who was gay and, and a little nervous about how his friends might take it. And then you had this big giant stone dummy who for all of his faults never understood what the big issue was he would just bring it up because he knew it bothered Anole so they had this and the friendship that kind of came between this mice and men but in a much you know a more fun way I don't know it was a great relationship but uh, all, all three of those were real standouts for us cool did you pitch a book about Wolverine 
a Wolverine-led assassination squad in X-Force, or did Marvel approach you about it? So we were doing uh, Messiah Complex, and, you know, we had this big group meeting, and we knew we were going to need to do some, you know, Black Ops stuff in that storyline, but then we were like, well, what, you know, we were talking about what's going to come after this, and Chris and I were a part of it, and, and uh, you know, they, they wanted this this group of of dangerous mutants and the original name that was pitched was the wolf pack which chris and i immediately just turned each other in disgust and we're like why why wouldn't you just use x-force since it's yeah. a title you own and yeah and we can just redefine what it is and so we came up with what we we came up with the specifics after kind of getting the sense of what they wanted from this title right and so we ended up getting the greenlit in the room actually to use x-force as the title which is far better than wolf pack and and then from the moment that that series began, we we drove its creative. Cool. Matt also wants to know, was it your idea to give Doctor Strange a sister in the animated movie? Uh, yes. Well, uh, it no. Uh, uh, well, again, I, I, the idea definitely came up in our in our meetings. I I, I want to. I'm not going to claim that that idea for better or for worse but what it helped us do was give him a uh, a way to be redeemed uh and you know we were always happy with the with the outcome what was hilarious for years is when we were trying to get dr strange made on the live action side was people just kept coming in and pitching that story to us and it got the the the, the producer that was in-house at the time so irritated because he was just sick of hearing the animated series <laughs> uh the animated film pitched to him but yeah uh, but yeah i i don't know who thought of it but yes that was us um what mr craig kyle mm. are you willing to tell us about Thor Rag this is a two part question. About Thor Ragnarok and how is Goldblum as Grandmaster? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I can say very little. Uh, Marvel, so basically I, nothing. 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 <laughs> nothing. nothing. Just but wait. we have to try. You do. You have, you to, have try. to try. And I look, if I can say, I am not someone who holds back yeah. clearly. But on this one, no, I have to uh, plead the fifth. Sorry. You, you can't even say uh, how Goldblum's grandmaster look, is. Look, he's tremendous. Uh, Jeff Goldblum's good. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's, exactly. It's like, you know, look, could you have guessed any of the performances in, in Guardians the way they were? Yeah. Obviously, wildly talented people, but could you have predicted how they were going to hit you and how? No. So it's the same thing, you know? Okay. He's obviously a master actor and such a great, you know, character actor. And he's lovely. Uh, I think, you know, wait and see, but come on. <laughs> well, this is the most important one. Yes. His last question right. from Matt Key you, to Craig Kyle. Wow. Do you want Matt Key to be your assistant and read all of your stuff and give you his thoughts? <laughs> Matt, I've thought a lot about this. Uh, I think we're just moving too fast. So I would say let's just take our time and maybe. If it's okay. meant to be, it will be. I just don't want to rush into All this. good relationships, I, yeah. you know, have to. I, I just don't want to yeah. rush into this. Okay. Craig Kyle does not like to rush into things. No. So no. <laughs> um, we're, we're running out of time, but I did. you brought up something in the, these questions about it being a father-son story about mm. Thor. And I remember you telling me on the plane about it's a father-son. Uh, it's also a mother-son story, mm. and that that was how Rene Russo approached the role with 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 Loki. And, yeah. and um, do you remember that? Yeah, very much so. So, uh, so you know, I, I take great pride in, in, uh, in how I can kind of pitch this crazy stuff to people who have never really read a comic or, or you know, seen the cartoons or whatever. But, 
uh, Ken Branagh, uh, when we were first, um, you know, he had, he had cast the film and he had the core talent. He really wanted to make sure that the characters had a chance to bond and also kind of, again, corkscrew into their characters. So over Thanksgiving weekend, um, before we started shooting, uh, Natalie and uh, Tom and Chris and Anthony and um, and Renee had all come in and we'd spend time just kind of asking questions. And uh, so when Renee was there, and there were so many amazing moments, uh, and um, but anyway, so uh, we're sitting at the table, and it's it's Tony and Renee, and uh, we're talking about Loki, and you know they have obviously read the script, and they know what the truth about Loki, and that he's a frost giant or half mm-hmm. frost giant, and he's you know what his path is, and so uh, Ken turns to Renee and he says, so knowing what she's going to be, what he's going to be when he finds out the truth. Would you tell him about where he came from, you know, the truth about, you know, who his real parents are? And she quickly said no. And we all looked around like, yeah, of course not, because he's, you know, it's dangerous. He'll kill everybody. And she says, you know, because he's so sensitive. Mm -hmm. And like literally the brains just shot out of the back of my skull onto the wall because what she brought in that moment was exactly what Frigga brought to Loki, which is a mother's love. You know, you have Thor, who's the fucking, sorry, the, you know, you have Thor, he's the star quarterback, he's this son that is all that you want, you know, him to be if you're Odin, uh, and they, these two men, Odin and Thor, cast very long, deep shadows, and Loki just can't escape them, and so you have this emo drama kid who Frigga has really taken in and cared for because... The other two are incapable of connecting and, and helping him. And and she is that love, that genuine, sincere love and care for him is that shard of goodness that has been plunged so deeply into his heart mm-hmm. that it can't escape and it makes him the unknown on screen. You never truly know what he will do because of her. She has put the question mark on his soul mm-hmm. because without her... He was on a destined path, with or without Odin. He was going down to this place. He was going to have this dark rule. This dark destiny awaited him. But she put something pure and beautiful and honest in him, and it will forever be a part of his character and 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 what he will be. And so, oh, that just gave me goosebumps because it just makes all the more tragic, you know. Uh, it's and it a hundred percent to Rene Russo. Yeah, she. Yeah is someone I admire and love, but my God, in that moment, that's when you were saying, you know, about story, you know, how much does it change? Right there is this beautiful new truth that was given to the story mm-hmm. that has paid dividends for Tom's character. Right. I mean, again, what a brilliant talent Tom is. You know, to, mm-hmm. Ken said it best. He's a finely tuned instrument. He so is. But since those days forward, you know, it has always just given him this beautiful... uh arc of of possibilities so yeah i love stories like that i love you know to truly see a great piece of art or you know when i mean that film plays reading a book you know especially in cinema and tv um you do need all 
all parts to work together and that you know renee russo an actor can come in and shape a tone help Mm -hmm. shape the tone of a movie and for kenneth branagh the the this this acclaimed actor (laughs) and director himself to listen to that and for you like you said your brains blow at the back of your head to understand that you know and that's that's collaboration that's people working together to make a really fine piece of work i think that's so cool i love that story oh thanks yeah, well, I love that story. It's, it's great to share it because yeah. and, and 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 so many of them each have a moment like that that i could speak to I yeah. mean, we were really blessed you know the casting that really ken did so much of in those early days are what has made the thor films successful mm-hmm. and are leading to so what... he he was he i mean most directors are but he was pretty much there for all absolutely. every every bit of casting absolutely and when it came to to chris you know, we all sat around the table before that final decision was made, and we were really close to casting someone else. I mean, literally within two weeks of kind of getting the deal done. Uh-huh. And Chris had been really sick on the first audition, and so he went through the audition process, and we didn't even think about him. But he heard that we hadn't made a choice yet, a final choice yet, so he rushed to put himself on tape with new sides. His mom put him on her iPhone and sent it in. Wow. And then we sat around the table, Ken and um, uh, everybody, uh, our, our production designer, our costume designer, Kevin, Lou, Victoria, myself, and we all went on the table, and it was it was basically a slow breakup where we all each said Chris's name as we went around and said it wasn't the other person uh-huh. because he was so powerful and charismatic. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was a bar scene and Chris was the kind of guy that the guys want to hang out with and the girls want to hook up with. And you know what? Probably both too. Girls probably want to drink with them too. And guys want to hook yeah. up with them. You know, he just, he was that guy yeah. that man, yeah. you just fell in love with. And, uh, and it was, you know, the best, the best decision we ever made uh and tom is right there i mean you can go yeah. the whole route but- well i think you know it, the marvel cinematic universe has been successful with i think most of their characters you know i as an actor myself and a writer myself like when i see a movie and i walk out of that movie like not being able to imagine anyone else in the role which like hugh jackman and wolverine because yeah. you know if you grew up with the cartoon or the comic books that's not the physicality you would have thought of with yeah. with wolverine but he fucking walked into that role you know and i think Specifically in the Thor movies, um, Thor and Loki, I can't imagine anybody else playing either of those. And their their chemistry you know. is tremendous. Yeah. Tremendous. Yeah. You know, um, they're, they're just amazing together. And look, you know, Downey is, is Tony Stark, you know. That guy said MC has done a great job. What you yeah. said about Guardians of the Galaxy, you know. Oh, it, my God. It, it's, I think Iron Man's great. I think, you know, and, Evans and, you does know, a great a job. All right, enough of the comic book stuff because we are pretty much out of time. I oh. want to ask you one last thing. Yes. So we actually spent most of our plane ride, um, well, not most of it, a good deal of it, talking about Star Trek, which made yeah. me very, very happy. So what we've talked about comics this whole hour. Yeah, what, yeah. what are your other geeky pleasures? Uh, okay. Science fiction, fantasy, you bet. what have you. So I grew up with the Bionic Man, uh, I mean, Six Million Dollar Man and Bionic Woman. And so that goes that connects me back to Harv. Harv Bennett, my first boss. Because he's the one who created those shows. Mm-hmm. So that was like, what? Girl named Golda? <laughs> Jesse Owens story? That's That sounds very interesting. But <laughs> oh my God. So... Uh, that, I grew up with Godzilla, uh, all the monster movies, Mothra and all that stuff. So I have a real passion for those things. Uh, Disney animation. Um, uh, again, you know, Next Generation was really my my 
foundation Star Trek love. I went, Me too. I know. went backwards from there. Like I discovered Star Trek with next year. And again, I, I watched yeah. uh, all the movies, which is why my wife will no longer watch Star Trek uh, <laughs> because I burned her on a lot of the not so good ones. Right. Um, right. Uh, you know, um, X-Files and, um, you know, just, just look, I, I was, I'm never going to be the guy who delivers some, uh, rom-com. I, you know, while I do enjoy, uh, great stuff like House of Cards and Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. for me to, to get into a story and want to tell it, it needs to be 20% extraordinary. Right. You know, right, I, right. I, again, you know, I think J.J. Abrams grew up with the same kind of stuff and has the same kind of motivations. I'm not comparing myself creatively to that masterpiece of a man and creative force, but, but so many of the things that he kind of loves and celebrates and chases down are the things that I feel the same about. I know Chris does as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twilight Zone. I mean, I used to watch those reruns endlessly, and those are all masterpieces. Right, so, right. you know, I just, I love worlds that are so relatable and so, and, and they so feel like the one around us, but then you bring that, 10 to 20% of extraordinary that just make it something else. And it allows you chances like the X-Men to to tackle all kinds of crazy issues like, uh, you know, uh, oppression of gays and uh, people of color and, you know, attitudes towards, uh, you know, any, any, any dark... Uh, subject matter and skin it in mutancy and, and humanity's weakness or humanity's strengths right. and vice versa and it just allows you a chance to tell stories you could have never gotten away with the way Star Trek used to yeah you know they would tackle these issues well, especially next I remember so, next generation yeah you know they were you know exactly the list that you just stated they were tackling that in next generation it's just and that's what i love same thing i love about science fiction is that you are taking things but you know okay we're gonna have some aliens say it or we're gonna put it in space yeah you know so people can kind of slightly remove themselves from it but then still have it like gotten into their brain pan yeah and everything look i love anything that is sci-fi fantasy or other that that hits you in the heartstrings. Yeah. I just want to be touched by it. You know, right. that's all. Yeah. Um, so um, if I love the characters and move by their stories, and that's why I look for stuff that I know will grab my wife in the first five to ten minutes. Right. Because by the time you reveal that, ah, ha, ha, it's sci-fi, she's in. And yeah. that's actually the, the job for all of us is right. to find that way to fool our friends, girlfriends, boyfriends, what have you, get them in the theater, get them on the couch, Draw them in, and by the time that we reveal that you know it's something that we actually love, mm-hmm. they're already uh, hooked. It has on... to be good. It's all about good storytelling. Yeah, good story, it's good all... characters, yeah. all that matters. Yeah. Thank so... you, Craig. Oh my God, the pl- my pleasure. This so much more great. room than the plane, but I know equally right? as fun, and and I think I was far less uh, vulgar. So. Oh, that's okay. I, uh, this is an R-rated podcast. See, I should have told ew, you before we I, I sat down. I would have said fuck so much more. I, I apologize <laughs> to those who know me. My bad, uh, my yeah. bad. Next time. Hey, uh, where can we find you on social media? So uh, I am on Twitter with a very commanding like 600 people <laughs> following. I've been fresh. I've been on for a while, but I never tweeted. But now I am because of you know what's You're going on. <laughs> I, I'm giving it a shot. So uh, I think I'm uh, at Mr. Craig Kyle. Uh, I had to use Mr. because Craig Kyle was taken. Because I followed him first. I, oh, you see. And Every, wrote, everyone does. Everyone I, does. I, I tweeted, um, <laughs> great meeting you on the plane, Craig Kyle, blah, 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 blah. Whoa. Oh. And then you never responded, and my feelings were super hurt. Well. 
And so I went back and I clicked. I was like, oh, that's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, send me pictures. Uh, what do we do? Um, <laughs> what do we do? Yeah, huh. exactly right. And then on Facebook, my public page is uh, creator of X23. Uh, and I use that one because the other profile has pictures of my kids and I'm not allowed to share those widely. And I, you know, so wise. forgive me. Wise. And uh, Instagram, I think, is also uh, Mr. Craig Kyle. So, and, and that's always fun because, you know, all my comic buddies are on there and we sh- share all kinds of stuff. But if you want to come and meet me in person, I'll be at WonderCon and uh, and uh, C2E2, uh, if that's right, or E2C2, whichever one it is, I'll be there okay. next. And STCC, right? And STCC. Which one comes first? Uh, uh, yeah, so WonderCon is this weekend, uh, or the first weekend of April, and then uh, Chicago is, is next. C2E2. C2E2. You Forgive right. me, the creators of C2E2. I'm so sorry. Uh, I will be there next, and then I think I think the next show after that oh, yeah, is... yeah, that's, that's coming up. That's at end of April. Right. C2E2. And then I'm going okay. to Boston Comic Con, and then SDCC, and the last place you can meet me this year right now is NYCC, which... I've never been to, and I'm really excited about. Yeah. I hear it's an awesome show. I hear yeah. it's like almost second to San Diego, I think. Yeah, and they surpassed San Diego a couple of years ago with attendance. Really? Or something, yeah, with tickets sold, or maybe it was one day or something, they surpassed them in some This isn't other... like your Game of Thrones thing where you said it was only one more oh season? Oh my God, you're never going to let me... I, look... I even have, you should the, page. Just admit that I have to the page up right now because I should. thought you were going to bring it up. <laughs> we're on the plane. Uh-huh. We're talking about Game of Thrones, and I say there's one season left. Craig says he thinks there's two, and I was like, no, no, no. I, this is what I do for a living. <laughs> so I, shut I, me down. I, I run a, a geek culture website called Geek Girl Authority. Look, <laughs> I'll look it up, and I even brought it up on my computer, but I guess I really didn't read it. I'm totally so, wrong. So this is the expert you're listening to, guys. I'm just is, I yeah, wanted to point that out. Come to me for the facts, but just so you know, it's seven episodes. I know. And then is that seven episodes? And then the next year will be only six episodes. So that's what it is. That's not okay. (sighs) Hashtag bullshit. Hashtag bullshit. And we'll leave you on that. Thank you for (laughs) thanks for kneeling the whole time. Oh, please! This is my normal. This is my normal position. It was a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. There's some. uh, There's some solve. (laughs) There's some solve on the way out. Yes. Yes, for my knees. Out. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Supplicants, you may now rise. The merciful odd has chosen to spare you. Please exit the internet to your left. <laughs>